Today's show is sponsored in part by InterOptic. Fortune 500 companies choose InterOptic optical transceivers to minimize the risk of network failures and maximize IT savings. InterOptic's transceivers are 100% guaranteed compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and others, and available at a fraction of the cost. Work with the optics experts at InterOptic. Go to interoptic.com packet pushers to find out more. Welcome to Heavy Networking, the podcast from the Packet Pushers, where we try and deep dive as far as we can into data networking. Now, today we're going to be talking about semantic networking or semantic routing. Well, I'm not quite sure. Now, this is an initiative that's been wandering around inside of the IETF standards body, and we've been looking at different ways of these protocols, and it caught my attention, and I was able to finagle Adrian Farrell, who's one of the people quasi-responsible for it, and joining me as well as Hans Gredler. Uh, to talk about what is semantic networking and why we might be interested in it. Now, this is very much a future discussion. I don't think semantic is, networking is about to burst onto the scene and transform our lives with its delicious, crunchy goodness. I do think it's going to be much more like a, something that sits out there, could be a science project, and it could be a future. It could be a post-IPv6 world. We just don't know. So that's why we're talking about it. Welcome to the show, Adrian and Hans. So I want to get on to the first question with you, Adrian. I did a lot of time reading up on the the small amount of information on what is semantic routing. And then in other places, I saw it called semantic networking. So because syntax kind of matters, is it semantic routing or is it semantic networking? Uh, Yes, uh, it it is. Um, It it started off being called semantic routing um, because we needed a name. And over time, we discovered that, well, you know what? It's a bit more than just routing. It's routing forwarding uh, network architecture. So we, we're, we're slowly transitioning to calling it semantic networking. So try and give me in a pithy sequence, like with the knowledge that most people are IPv4 and some IPv6, DNS, NAT, you know, all that sort of stuff. Where does semantic networking sit relative to that? What's, what's the key differentiating points in that topic? So it's packet level. That's the, the, the important thing. It's mm. not a. It's not up there in the application space. Uh, it's not transport. It's packets, mm. and packets are forwarded through the network based on their destination address uh, and um, information that's either programmed into the network or distributed using a, a routing protocol. Uh, and what semantic networking is about is making decisions on how to forward the packets based on more than just the destination address. Right. Now, this is something that we've done on and off over the years. I think from memory, we've had various attempts to do uh, destination and source-based routing or, you know, NAT is one example where you actually override the addressing and, and edit it on the fly as you go through. Is it in that sort of vein? Is it like looking to add to the IP v6 header or is it actually looking to change the header completely so i think the first thing to say about that is is uh that i'm not looking to to do anything i'm looking to survey uh what people are doing and try to bang their heads together and get them to develop solutions that are not going to break the internet Mm. um so i don't have a a pet technology that i i'm um endorsing or or, or pushing Mm. uh what i'm seeing is people doing stuff like you suggested sticking Mm. extra information in ipv6 router headers proposing new shims to go below the um the ip header but before the payload Mm. uh 
applying different meanings to existing IP fields, maybe by overloading them. Yeah. Or, yeah. or simply uh, just taking a, a set of those fields and using them all. Uh, and, and the classic is source address routing, um, yeah, which yeah. has been around for a while, uh, but is actually only just now getting documented in the IETF, um, where you, you make a, a routing decision using the destination and qualifying it by saying, well, where did this come from? Right. That's SRV6 mostly, or segment routing more generally. So SRV6 is slightly different. SRV, so, so source address routing, uh, uh, SADA it's sometimes called, mm -hmm. um, is, is just, uh, it's, it's most useful, I think, for, for dual homing. Um, mm. So you can get your packets to um, go through the network based on where they entered the network as well as um, where they're going. Uh, SRV6 is really applying um, extra semantics to the destination address field. Right. Purely the destination yeah. address field. I guess an interesting observation is uh, when you try to look back on the last 20 years of MPLS and MPLS segment routing and now uh, IP version 6SR, you see we always have been circling around the idea what is it? Is it a label? Is it address? Should it have addressing semantics or not? Should it just have local semantics? Mm. And uh, <laughs> usually vendors are very creative uh, okay. putting okay. up their spin to it. But we are still circling here. And uh, what I found uh, Adrian's work uh, actually very intriguing is uh, <laughs> he almost tries to find a, 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 or describe a unified theory of networking, a little bit like in physics, uh, okay. uh, Einstein was obsessed about it finding that one thing where you can do it at all the grand unified theory of of the yeah okay so what i think i'm hearing is there's a lot of people in the itf who bring ideas and and many of them are dumb ideas but they're all basically related to this idea of we need to do something with the addressing space but we can't really change the header so everybody's trying to say well if we did this to recognize the header as something different i could start to redo the network because you can't change the IPv6 or IPv4 headers because there's so many devices in the internet, you're not going to replace them all and, and the silicon can't be flexibly reprogrammed. Am I right? Uh, you are right. But, you know, if you want to look at the full spectrum of dumb ideas, um, there are people proposing uh, exactly um, to change the IP header and invent IPv whatever, pick, a, mm. pick your favourite number, uh, and um, given our experience with IPv6 and how long it took that to really actually get any traction, hmm. I don't think IPv25 is going to um, cut it. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so you're right. We, we have people looking and saying, how do I, given that I've got boxes out there that are IPv6 uh, forwarders, what can I do to enhance the behavior of the network by upgrading some of the nodes or all of the nodes mm. to to do different different behavior um and i think it we we hit this crunch that is it is it something we have to do incrementally or is it something we do in walled gardens or in our own little mm. private networks um and what you see a lot at the moment is people saying, well, I've got this brilliant new idea and we're only going to deploy it in a limited domain. Yeah. 
Um, and that's not going to work anymore. So that was, if I look back, say, 20, 30 years ago, where LANs were able to run IPX, Banyan Vines, Apple Talk, IPX, SPX, TCP, IP later on, that's not a viable strategy going forward. People don't want to run separate networks. I think one of the lessons of the last decade has been that people just want to use the public WAN or the internet, as I as you might call it, for everything. And they're not interested in actually doing private WANs going forward. I think the, the idea of a private WAN becomes increasingly a niche technology that very few people actually use. So everything I think, I don't believe that it would be worthwhile developing a protocol just for private use, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of with you, uh, mm. but there are some counter arguments. So um, uh, the factory environment, for example, is a, mm. is a good counter argument where you probably want your factory to be uh, fairly well firewalled from the uh, open internet. And uh, it's a tough environment and you may need to use special protocols and, and things like that. And you put a gateway on it if, if you need open access. Um, or you need people in head office to be able to access the factory. So in, in that sense, people do run private networks. The other counterexample is the private backhaul that, that folks like uh, Google and Netflix and you know, the, big, the big six mm. are all doing. And what they do on those networks, well, they receive IP coming in, but then they encapsulate it or they translate it and off it goes in their own private network. And, what do they care about open standards? Well, they don't have to, right? But equally, I'm not sure that we would want to see you can't affect the public network. They, it's their responsibility to translate it out of their private network to the public network. And as long as it's owned by a single entity, that's fine. I don't see that as a problem in the same way that enterprises used to run IPX and it just never integrated with third parties, right? We never connected two company two company corporate networks together over IPX. Right. Mm. And and you know essentially I do agree with you that, yeah. that uh, and and this is one of the the big challenges is that uh somebody who comes to the ITF saying I've got this great idea don't you worry your pretty little heads it won't break the internet because we're going to run it in our safe walled garden. <laughs> um, those people are wrong. Yeah, there is no safe wall garden. That one of the lessons of SD WAN and SASE and SSE is that nobody wants to be connected to a private network by and large. Now, there are corner conditions here. There are but those are corner conditions, not things that the ITF should be writing custom protocols for. People can just make use of what's out there rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, as they say. Yeah. Going back to Adrian's comment about mm. uh, a pile of dumb ideas. Um Originally, when um, five or six years ago, when we saw the first uh, incarnations of segment routing v6, uh, we just thought, okay, this is another data plane in the internet. It's not a good idea. Mm. Actually, one of the things that we have learned, which is very smart about it, is uh, that it is incremental from the its deployment style. Right mm. uh, uh, in the core, you do uh, your best matching prefix-based forwarding, and at the edge, uh, you kind of just redefine uh, some of the semantics of the IP uh, header bits. It mm. doesn't really mean that you have to go full in with all the fancy extension headers. Just steal here uh, and redefine the bits of the header. And that is actually a very powerful thing. That sounds a little bit like Lisp, this idea of separating 
endpoint identifiers from routing locators or routing identifiers so that the you know some part of the IP address becomes an endpoint identifier in a local area but the routing says I'm going this is where I have to go to escape the local area or something is that right it is it is it is Greg and yeah. um, uh, I think uh, what uh, Adrian and Daniel are uh, have nicely <laughs> demonstrated on their semantic uh, routing papers is to say uh, every now and then uh, in fact all the time <laughs> uh, people stumble uh, uh, about uh, certain useful patterns certain useful paradigms and uh, uh, they put it then into a solution mm. and uh, what we have actually to do now is look at all those things that have worked and again, uh, unify it, right? Uh, IP version 6SR has certain useful features. Lisp uh, partially has useful features. Uh, MPLS segment routing, plain vanilla MPLS, uh, DiffSurf, uh, all of that. But there is uh, everything individually is just uh, a set of tiny little hacks. Uh, there is no uh, uh, overarching architecture in that regard. That's for good reason. I mean, it, it, it sounds like we're being critical. You know, nobody hmm. sat down and wrote an, an architecture. But um, largely speaking, we're engineers, and engineers like uh, tinkering and making things, and they're not quite sure what they're making or why. Hmm. Um, or they think they know why, but actually it turns out uh, different. And MPLS is a classic example of that. So MPLS is actually really successful and yeah. and. and Hugely deployed. VLAN tags and, for IP, I call it. Right. <laughs> and, and, and what was it invented for? Yeah. Uh, something completely different. Mm. It was invented because people thought they couldn't do IP lookups fast enough. Yeah, that was right. Yeah. Well, you couldn't in the silicon of the year. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't at the time they invented MPLS, mm. but you could by the time they'd implemented it. <laughs> well, the, the answer to why uh, an engineer builds something usually ends up tied to money. If we can monetize this feature, it's something that'll gain some traction. And that's one of the things is I've looked into various aspects of semantic routing. I just listened to a podcast on path-aware networking. Where, where, where's the angle where a feature like this could be monetized? Right. Uh, Nail successfully hit on head there, I think. Um, uh, so a lot of this is coming out of, wouldn't it be great if? Wouldn't it be great if we could put more determinism and better uh, grades of service into the IP network? And we see that, you know, what is SRV6 doing? Well, it's doing traffic steering, moving towards traffic engineering, and trying to be to put predictable paths into the, the IP network. We see people saying, I've got this application that is going to need super low latency. Don't care whether it's the shortest path or not, got to get on the low latency path. We see people saying, ah, oh, yeah, and I've, I've got high priority, mega bandwidth traffic, uh, and uh, I want to get that to go through uninterrupted. And, and they're, so they're, they're talking about applications that they think might become killer applications for um, the 5G buzzword. Yeah. And then saying, and can our, can our today's IP-based internet deliver that using best effort? Well, no, it possibly can't. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not convinced that... And, and so there's a divergence here. You're saying that to some extent semantic networking is a, is a group of tools that could perhaps turn the public WAN into a multi-service network. There would be the ability to request or to acquire 
a low latency connection if you needed it or a high bandwidth, high priority connection if that's what you need and to somehow mystically pay for the engineering needed to create that. I don't think I'm saying that. I'm right. saying that people are saying that. Right. Um, my view is, uh, look, the IP network is is deliberately designed and architected and 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 all the wires and fiber out there are intended to do best effort survivable packet delivery mm. and you can't then put a fancy wallpaper over the top of this rubble and pretend that you've got something better i mean my counter argument to that is always and yet the internet works because it's it's just so much bandwidth that shared resources has so much more capacity than and is so simple and easy to use remember when netflix came out and said you know, everybody said, oh, it can't work, you can't stream over the internet. And lo and behold, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, we couldn't do video conferencing 10 years ago. And yet, lo and behold, we do. We don't need special protocols. We don't need special paths across the internet. Are we confident that that statement that there is mystical networking magic that customers want is actually true? No, I don't think we are. I mean, there, mm. there, there are two solutions to providing the connectivity that the end user wants. And one solution is to throw bandwidth at it. Mm. Uh, the other is to do something clever with the existing bandwidth. Yes. Um, I call it the I, electricity approach. The answer right. is, the, to me, the answer is everybody said, I just want electricity. I don't need, I don't need to, I don't want to go and buy 120 volts and 240 volts and, you know, so forth and so on. I can make do with all the, all the, all, whatever we need. So, I I wonder. I mean, there's a kind of um, Parkinson's law of uh, of, of bandwidth <laughs> consumption. Yes, which means that you know, no matter how much bandwidth um, you're given, you'll come up with some application that uses uh, uses it all. Uh, a bit of a stretch to know what I would do with uh, 300 gig at home, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I remember but, when I was saying, I, and, and it wasn't so long ago that I wasn't saying I'm on 300 megs now and I don't use it, no matter how, except for occasional downloads of very large files. I, I, I'm not, and I don't, I'm not sure if I look around, if I can see. I wanted to come back to the industrial question that you said, or you put up the idea of the factory or the I, or what I like to think of it, or sometimes called the IoT Edge, where I my reading of the IoT Edge is it's much more likely to be connected directly to a 5G network and send data back over a mobile network directly to some sort of SaaS service. There may be a, a a box locally collating traffic, but then sending it off over the public WAN to a SaaS, which is in a cloud. They don't want to go and start putting private networks into these places to make things to work because the cost and the embuggerance of dealing with telcos, they just want... And so I think it's much more likely to be that than anything else. And you know, let's say you're somebody like Johnson Controls and your head office is in uh, the US and you build a SaaS service to do machine monitoring or building monitoring. You don't want to be running a global network of private connectivity to all of your customers across the globe. That's not effective. You would much rather use the internet, I feel. I think you're right. I, mm. What I don't know is whether the, the individual devices will be talking each talking IP that is getting routed packet by packet 
onto mm. the um, public internet, yeah. or whether those individual devices will be uh, talking to servers within the factory environment and the factory and that, and those servers will then be, as you say, collating the data yes. and and sending it for a tunnel. Batching or, it up and sending it. Yeah, somehow. Let's come back. I think we've probably taken that topic as far as it's going to go. It's not clear that there's a need for private networks, which may be where semantic networking, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people in the IETF who still believe that private networks matter because there's no dumb idea not uh, not managed or discussed in the IETF. I mean that in a nice way, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we interrupt this podcast for a brief word from Packet Pusher sponsor Interoptic. Interoptic has been the trusted optical transceiver supplier for many federal, state, and local government networks and Fortune 500 companies. They provide friendly, U.S.-based OEM agnostic networking expertise to help you choose the best optics and fiber to future-proof your networks at the lowest cost. Why continue to pay OEM prices for optics? Talk to the experts who will deliver brand-equivalent transceivers at a fraction of the cost. Interoptic can help you and your team create a more nimble physical layer. Their optical transceivers are guaranteed 100% compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and other switches. Interoptic physically tests every single transceiver before it's shipped, and their transceivers are built to the exact same quality standards as the OEMs and typically come from the same manufacturing lines. That means you can purchase the same, if not better performing, optical transceivers tested and designed by engineers who truly understand the specifications critical to your network at a fraction of OEM costs. It's time to take control of your optics purchases with Interoptic. Find out how at interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. And now back to the conversation. So let's go back onto semantic networking and try and explain. Now, you said before that you're trying to overload the header data inside of the packet. So you're saying if segment routing is saying, well, we don't just look at the destination address and do a lookup, we look at the source address. And so what you're saying there is we're attaching meaning to the source address and the destination address. and that that works for path selection. Does semantic networking sort of extend that idea out to more bits in the header field? As you say, some folk are just looking at the existing fields and saying, let's use some more of those. Mm. And I, I guess you know, the, the classic five tuple is on the table there. Mm. Some people are talking about using those existing fields, but stuffing additional information into them. Yeah, And in IPv6, uh, well, SRV6 is an example of squeezing a little bit more information into the destination address. The IPv6 flow label, we see proposals periodically for, well, what if we put that information in the flow label? Or if we took the type of service bits and repurposed them? So there's that kind of overloading. And then the actual that comes after that is, well, let's put some more bits in. And IPv6 has got these lovely extension header things, mm. which allow people to almost arbitrarily propose, I could put a big blob of data in. Yeah, okay. And if you look at it, what actually gets deployed, right? I mean, traffic engineering using v6 microsites, those are all showcases. Actually, people found it intriguing, but not overly useful enough to deploy it. What actually was deployed is actually stealing some bits from the destination IP address as a service demultiplexing point and uh, mm. kind of what MPLS uh, label bits uh, was to MPLS uh, just moved up here into the destination address, right? Uh, and uh, sounds like what we did in Ethernet 30 years ago, problems. where we started to put service fields and SAPs and stuff. And all, all that this is, is IPv6 layer 3 VPN. 
mm. he says, with his yeah. tongue slightly in his cheek. Um, uh, <laughs> all. Oh, that's all it is, yeah. yeah. The service demultiplexing uh, that happens at the edge, that's cool because mm. you just you're just routing an address and when you when you get to the edge, you say, Oh no, that address that isn't a port, it's a it's a VRF. Right. Yeah. However, what happens inside the network, whether you're you're saying, well, it's a different service, so I'm gonna give it different routing treatment or different per hop behavior or something like that, that starts to get entertaining to me because of all the ways it can fail. Right. And so semantic networking is a sense is to say, like what you say in the in the RFC is you talk about all these different technologies that we've seen come through the IETF, at least to my mind, my unskilled, untrained mind, that you said there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that we've done that is part of this. And you, we need to be looking or discussing whether any of these are viable or whether they should all be flushed down the toilet. Well, I think the market is very good at flushing stuff if it, if it doesn't like it. Uh, yeah. As as Hannes just said, you know, if it, people look at it and say, well, it's an interesting sandbox, but um, I'm not deploying it, and it just sort of withers away and dies on its own. Mm -hmm. What bothers me is that every time there's a new suggestion on the table, we can spend a lot of time fiddling with the bits and bytes and not looking at the big picture and not saying – well, what would happen if one of these packets escaped and was seen by a legacy router? What would happen if I deployed this and the network started to flap? What would happen if there were two different implementations out there trying to interoperate and they had a slightly different view of how to determine the best next hop? Would we be just putting loops in? Uh, and I can go on. And there's a, there's a draft out there that Dan and I wrote on challenges for new routing systems, where we try to just catalogue. The, there are a lot of things you need to think about before you brazenly try to deploy some new routing idea. If the issue is we're trying to get to preferred paths so that we can do traffic engineering in a way that allows us to make money by setting traffic over some preferred path, wouldn't the simplest thing to do uh, be figure out an internet scale version of DSCP or just take DSCP. We all agree on what the marks mean because it's now become a global standard that all the marks must mean X and then uh, move to a trust model where we're going to trust marked packets with, uh, with our customers as, uh, as packets enter our networks and we pass them along that I think gets us to a goal, at least part of a goal. And doesn't blow up any routers or routing engines along the way because it's you know, long since been boring technology. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and the argument that some people put forward is that there are not enough bits and there's, there's not enough meaning uh, in DSCP and we actually uh, need better ways of uh, adding information to the packet. Well, DSCP is not rich enough with 64 bits to describe what we're trying to describe, we're saying? That's what they're saying, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that seems hard to fathom, but okay. <laughs> There's an interesting piece of research that was just being talked about uh, at the last ITF meeting, which was only last week, being done uh, in Aberdeen, in the university there, to see what happens to DSCP bits as they move through the current network. 
Well, they're stripped, I would assume, typically, right? Well, yeah, they're, they're stripped or condensed. So you, you stripped end, down to three, stripped, stripped down to three. And yeah. then mm -hmm. of those, of, of those eight flavors, three are reserved for experiments and, uh, and one is never used. And so you're, you're down to essentially four DSCP markers. Well, and it, right. And so my argument would be, if we're going to go to all the trouble to define some new standards and come up with a new way of doing things, we could all just have this uh, meeting where we agree, okay, we know what DSCP has become, but there's no reason it has to be that way. Let's move ahead with you know, leveraging it for, for what it could be, you know, if we opened it all up. But although I, I agree with the, the and, state and, of things and being what that they is are. precisely the problem. We are very good in coming and cooking up new stuff but we are not very good in trashing, uh, I would say, <laughs> the broken stuff uh, to the graveyard, right? Uh, that is the problem. Um, you mentioned previously traffic engineering. Uh, who actually does traffic path engineering? Uh, there is probably a handful of transit providers who still do this, but the majority is actually doing uh, traffic demand engineering using uh, content caches at the very edge, which gets mm. a little bit more uh, to that whole content-based uh, uh, networking that is also part of uh, uh, ADN's yeah. uh, list of uh, semantic networking tools in the chest. So does semantic networking then assist in locating the appropriate CDN node or an ingress node to a network? Because we're seeing a lot of people switch to SASE, SD-WAN, where they do the first mile on the public infrastructure and then it goes into some overlay network that is hosted by somebody else. Is this suitable for that? So I, I'm, I'm far from convinced that overlay is not the right answer. Yes. But there are, there are folk out there who will say, well, let's assign IP addresses to pieces of content so that we can route towards the content. Um, and and maybe use um, some anycast on steroids to to find the best one. Yeah, there's been various attempts at content aware networking as well, and yeah, which hasn't really gone very far. Seems to be an insoluble problem. Well, and it seems to me that it's wrong to be trying to solve that at the packet level when what actually ends up happening is you need to um, bind a cluster of packets together as a transaction because you can't you can't have your your if you know, if you're trying to do say a piece of compute at a at a compute edge you need a flow all of the packets to, to the, actually go to the yeah. same uh, processor yeah. an application doesn't um, consume packets it consumes the the, the flow and the right. payload may be split up across you know 500 packets and whatever in the packetization process, but really it, you're going it, back it to... Bears the question, it bears the question whether we are trying to solve too much at the networking layer. I mean, just have a look at multicast, right? Uh, 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 network level uh, replication of uh, content. Well, yeah, well, I would say it's a broken idea by now. Uh, people have figured out uh, how to replicate content far more efficient, but it's uh, using content cache hierarchies. Uh, again, um, one example of trying to solve a problem, a uh, valid problem, but at the wrong level. Mm. 
that's also a bit the kind of thing that I see here. Uh, if you go through Adrian's list, uh, uh, a lot of things have been solved, but at a very different level at the application layer, typically. Uh, I, I'm a geologist. I, I, I do like to see the network formed out of very neat strata. And it's important to put the problem at the right level. It's so much easier to solve things in an overlay than it is to tinker with the underlay. Mm. Uh, and for that reason, there's, um, there's some stuff knocking about that's talking about layer 3.5 and putting in a new overlay there somewhere between uh, transport and networking. And it's not dissimilar from what Quick has done, mm. but... Um, but it, 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 you, know, you, can, you can build overlays because you just put an extra encapsulation on uh, yeah. and, and then stuff it into IP and off it goes. Yes. Um, we see that a lot easier. in, uh, from what I understand of the little bit of information that I hear about Google's network is that's what they do. They add a tag and they also run oversized frames on their backbone. So they don't run 1,500-byte IP. They run much larger so that uh, they can run much larger headers. Because one of the biggest problems on the internet today, in my view, is the fact that we're still stuck with a 40-year-old idea of a maximum packet size, you know, that 1,500-byte IP payload. And in, in reality, it's probably down around 1,200 bytes because there's so much encapsulation going on and you can't do fragmentation that you've got a problem. And that would... Right. It, you you know, all the contemporary chips that support MTU of main key. Yes, so, that's right. Yeah, mm. that to me. Well, would as be, far as overlays go, um, I mean, every SD WAN fabric that's out there is is an overlay that is doing what we're what we've been talking about. Some version of semantic networking in their own proprietary way. I don't know if there's anything that can be. I guess that's a walled garden. Certainly, I don't know if there's any way we can take what those folks have learned and apply that to become a global standard. But that's it. I mean, it's happening in real time right now. And and so question back to you is in that overlay, what is an o what does an overlay router look like? Mm. And and are there multiple IP hops between those overlay routers? Uh, usually yes. So, yes. Yeah. So you and more importantly, they're very dynamic. So they're not a fixed WAN. So if you think of companies like Cloudflare, um, who have an Ingress or Veloc, uh, VMware's SD-WAN product, the Veloclade acquisition, where they provide a backbone. The data goes, one comes across the public network into their backbone, gets encapsulated and traverses their backbone. They are constantly setting up new POPs and setting up IXP connections and setting up their own private bandwidth connections between their nodes. So it's not even true to say that the network is static. It, it's actually internally dynamic. The bandwidth that they use may actually be internet overlay via IXP, maybe purchase bandwidth from another, from a, 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 a large cloud provider like Google or AWS, for example, or it may actually be over traditional telco MPLS. And so is it being routed? Yeah, for sure. Is it, can you predict it? No. And it's all being software operated, not routed as such. So. Adrian, is your question about what does the router look like? What does the overlay router look like rooted in? Can I scale this thing at to internet scale so I can have devices that are pushing hundreds of gigabits per second across a backbone and, and doing end cap? 
No, no, I, I'm, I'm much more uh, entertained by the fact that people see this SD WAN architecture, mm. see how how useful it is, um, but fail to observe that it's an overlay and that you do not need to crank up the capabilities of the underlay IP routers in order to achieve it. No. Right, because the underlay is just passing an IP packet. It doesn't really care that it happens to be encapsulated. It just sends it on its way, all the magic's being done at the edges. Right, right. And, and it's, it's, I think, that lack of understanding that is causing, or it's one of the causes of people trying to shoehorn extra function and features into the IP layer. And yet, well, history uh, would suggest that every time we do that, it's a miserable, horrible experience. Look at how difficult it was to implement VLANs 25 years ago and to map between, and then we had spanning tree problems because people forgot to modify spanning tree. And then when MPLS came out and companies started rolling that out back in the late 1990s, it was a very traumatic experience for everybody because um, they needed new silicon. It was great for the vendors because they got to sell new hardware all the way across those telco networks. What does that 3.5 uh, overlay you were talking about look like conceptually? Is that just another IP and some flavor of IP encapsulation or something more like an MPLS tag? Um, it looks, yeah, it looks a little bit like IP and IP. Um, right. But I, I think it's still at the hand-wavy hypothetical stage of um, wouldn't wouldn't the right solution be to build some um, overlay but still routed uh, packet encapsulation? So is the is the idea ideal, or is the idea we're still bounded by the existing silicon that exists today? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Mm. Um, I think it's coming from. Uh, P4 advocates. Mm. So they are looking at, well, uh, it, you know, anything that a P4 programmable um, switch, straight router can do um, is fine. So yeah. essentially, any encapsulation is, is going to be just fine. Yeah. yeah you're going to strip off the IP header and find the thing underneath and, and be able to read some yeah. number of fields of it and, which and most deal with them. silicon can do but yeah. anything that like there's a lot of things that p4 can do or be used to do with a an ip packet or frame you know ethernet frame even that middle box like other paths in the network won't understand and that's the problem is because the ip network is ubiquitous and federated and federated means everybody has to abide by the same universal laws it's very difficult to introduce a new I, you know, format or tag without having every device in the network agree. Otherwise, it's pointless. So, for example, every time you implement QOS, you're adding caching in the network. And in computing theory, every cache is a problem. You're effectively adding several layers of complexity to the network. And But every time you add, say, I want to provide a high-performance, low-latency, you know, high-bandwidth, you know, any of that, you're actually saying... I want to put caching in the network selectively. And that is that is always a path to failure, in my opinion. And I think we should just be more saying, just give me more bandwidth. Stop futzing with useless technology. 
give me more. I want more. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and while you were talking there, the uh, a little alarm, um, flashy light went off on my desk saying um, layer violation. <laughs> yeah. Of course, everybody does violate layers, but um, the fact that we have layer violation is what causes us to not be able to do clever things. Mm. Um, if, if you like, doing clever things hurts us and stops us doing different clever things. So the fact that there are middle boxes out there that look beyond the um, packet encapsulation at which they are running and look to see what the payload is and, and play with things according to the payload means mm. that you can't futz around with an extra shim between the encapsulation and the payload. Yes, that's uh, right. And that's, that's, you know, that's why Quick runs over UDP. That's right, yeah. Which is ghastly. Yeah, which is ghastly, but it's practical because there's middle boxes in the middle that don't won't let you implement quick on TCP, and TCP is relatively slow, and the network now has so much performance in it that actually undergoing the three-way handshake for a majority of internet users is too slow. Um, and sometimes I feel like, just to, just to take you on, like to be antagonistic if you like, I actually wonder if we should forget IP and TCP completely and just start routing HTTP. That would be far more useful because um, that's where we're actually headed is that everything's happening in the HTTP editor at layer 5.6 and there's actually no need for IP going forward except for some other protocol might need to evolve at some point in the future. Well, I, I think I'm running HTTP directly over IP. Mm -hmm. Um, or you go off into the, the world of routing on arbitrarily long strings, mm. uh, which are URLs. Uh, and, well, we, we, we know we can do lookups on them, uh, but the lookups we do map them to IP addresses so that we can actually route them. Yes, um, yes. If, if every node in the network is going to have to have a full DNS, then maybe that's mm. a bit of a problem. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, the, but my point is that from a practical perspective, something like 80 to 90% of all internet traffic is now HTTP and usually encrypted. And, and Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and certainly, why does that need the transport? Yes, why, why does there? it need TCP or UDP? No, I think both of you are right. Uh, uh, but uh, I guess the key here is uh, decoupling the routing entity from the forwarding paradigm, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Um, from MPLS um, was actually an example. We had uh, the routed entity, i.e. the prefix, right? Uh, and the forwarding um, behavior was uh, the label swap or push or whatever. Now, uh, if you think about the URLs, right? Uh, which is perfectly be reasonable to signal URLs through the network, but actually uh, once uh, you decide that you want to provide to a set of aggregate of URLs uh, to program here uh, a forwarding entry which is much more simpler than uh, parsing in real time all those long addresses. So uh, we have uh, come up with a couple of clever solutions over time. We just have to reassemble and reassess uh, what was working well in the past for uh, solving uh, networking at scale problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think at scale is important because you know, one of the lessons of, of traffic engineering has been that uh, it only works if you're prepared to aggregate 
your traffic. If you try to traffic engineer every microflow, you're really into a, a disaster scenario. Yes. Mm. And the, the same thing is going to apply whatever um, we do with HTTP or, or whatever we try to add to the IP layer in terms of function and, uh, and qualitative routing. We're going to end up with that traffic engineering challenge. Uh, and you know, I, I fully foresee us in 10 years' time saying, yeah, but all this SRV6 has got so complicated, we've got to invent some new, really lightweight way of getting the state out of the network. Mm. That does seem to be how it goes, is we get into you know, network function chaining or service function chaining or uh, trying to you know, do content-based routing to find the local CDN node. And then it never seems to last very long because it doesn't scale. Um, like the early versions of MPLS didn't scale well. And there were several modifications on the underlying algorithms to get it to scale up, like LDP, for example. Um, yeah, I'm, I think you have to be careful when you say MPLS yeah. to distinguish the data plane from the control plane. Yeah. Um, because the data plane scales pretty well. I think, you know, two to the 20 is not bad. Um, but the control plane solutions have, uh, have tried to do everything. They've tried to be everything to every network operator. And the result is that, that they cannot scale well. Yes. Mm. Or they started off with modest goals to solve a narrow use case so they could be monetized, which is Ethan's point. Everything we do has to be focused on will it be adopted because, and therefore we have to have an eye on the monetization. So, so I, I think that that's just such a, a classic problem for a lot of engineers coming to the IETF with their latest great idea mm -hmm. is that they do not actually understand whether it can be monetized. They just think, ah, oh, this is wonderful. This will solve this problem. And then the operators will be able to use it and make lots of money. Uh, and the operators are probably standing with a, a really shocked look on their faces <laughs> saying, um, hey, guys, we really want it just to be simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or we just wanted to make more money. And what you're talking about is going to cost us money, not make us money. And it might solve a use case for 1% of our users. So, Adrian, one thing that we haven't done or one thing we haven't talked about is when do we talk about semantic network? Where's the context in where it matters? Right. And, and this has been uh, a challenge because I'm not proposing some new technology. Mm. It's been hard to bring it to the IETF. The IETF is trying to solve today's problems uh, uh, now yeah. uh, and is not so open to um, architectural discussions. And I also tried talking about it in the IRTF, which is like the research arm of the IETF, and the IRTF was saying, well, okay, where's all your research? Where's your published papers? Um, where are the uh, tens of uh, academics who've already been working on this who want to talk about it? And it doesn't have a likely home there. So it's, it's kind of struggling. Um, 
we've we've currently obviously anyone can post an internet draft so i uh, i just go off and do that promiscuously but um we we've currently got permission to talk about it on um the the routing discussion mailing list at mm -hmm. the ietf but it it kind of lacks focus there if uh if i try to talk about it well people are too busy doing their other stuff they're yeah. not quite sure what to say or how to contribute so there's there's no real home at the moment and, yes it's it's because uh, you're so is, super is it actually is, is it actually possible to do innovation in committees um well i don't know uh you tell us hannes as an as an innovator um <laughs> Uh, any 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 company i'm just finding surprising that usually uh where uh, the innovation happens is uh two three sometimes four people together uh at the bar at the itf right uh <laughs> doing the famous uh napkin painting but uh, uh that, that that that's really uh, as long um, or as soon as there is more than three four people initially in the ideation phase um uh it usually gets derailed all the time so <laughs> I'm, i'm i'm now really can uh, convinced that it's just not possible to do it uh, in any organized forum uh, uh do the ideation bring it to those bodies uh, cook up a prototype and try to see what sticks right and i think that that would be fair if what we were actually trying to do here is innovate rather than um provide some uh safety nets for other people who are innovating Uh, and I'll give you an example here. At the moment, the, the MPLS working group is burning a lot of cycles talking about how to add um, network functions to MPLS. So a bit like the segment routing stuff, but basically having labels that tell you to do special stuff, having um, extra metadata for those functions somehow carried in the MPLS packets. And it's great discussion, lots of innovation going on, no understanding of where the monetization is or really what problem is trying to be solved. Uh, yeah. and, and all the safeguards seem to be off. Nobody's actually going, oh, wait a minute, this isn't going to scale or this is <laughs> going to crash existing boxes or, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Can this be implemented in hardware is the classic one. You know, you, uh, right? Yeah, that's that's right. the one I stumble across the most, and I always get. Somebody once told me as a joke. They said, you know, if somebody's going to reinvent the wheel, it should have at least it should at least be a hexagon, and the axle should almost should mostly be near the middle. And sometimes mm -hmm. I look at these discussions and go, like, that's a triangle with the axle out towards the end, towards the tip, sort of thing. Yeah, and but yeah. hardware is where the real trauma starts, sort of thing. So those discussions actually can find homes in the ITF. Yes. Um, however, the discussion of where to put, a, where is a good place to put axles? Yes. That doesn't have a home. No. Yeah, and that's where semantic networking uh, fits into it. Yeah, and maybe that's because we're just happy to let people fail, um, try and fail, uh, uh, or maybe it's because it's too difficult. To have that kind of apple pie discussion. Mm. 
Adrian, there is also um, usually for every standard that uh, we do, at least in the IDR working group, right, there is an implementation report, uh, which I always found uh, a sort of a good post-mortem. What did work? What uh, did what did not work, what did work, uh, what are the difficult to understand pieces. And um, I find it actually a bit stunning that uh, for networking architectures, that whole segment routing thing, um, shouldn't we at some point uh, uh, put together a document and uh, do that post-mortem, uh, not just with an uh, individual a draft or RFC discussion, but uh, now after 10 years, how useful was it? I yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that possibly taken out of the hands of um, a small group of people who are religious zealots. <laughs> yes, yes, there, yes. There is that. Well, on that note, I think we have to wrap it up. Uh, Hans, where can people find you on the internet? Um, well, uh, I founded this uh, company of mine, rtbrick.com, which builds BNG on bare metal silicon. www.rtbrick.com. Fantastic. And Adrian, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Have you got anything you want to tell people about? Uh, yeah, they, they can find me at uh, olddog.co.uk um, and uh, various places on social media where they can also find how to buy my books of uh, fairy tales. Uh, some of my fairy tales are about internet protocols, but most of them are, are just fairy tales for adults. Oh, there you go. Uh, thanks very much for talking to us today about semantic networking. I also want to make a plug here. Uh, we've uh, asked Russ White to write a series of articles for packetpushers.net about engaging with the IETF, and his recent post, How to Submit Your Ideas to the IETF, has just been published this week, um, and that's a whole series that you'll see from him. So if you're interested in finding out more about the IETF, maybe Russ will give you a, a, a lean-in. And the IETF itself, of course, is a body that meets regularly both virtually and in person. Only the brave of heart would attend in person, in my opinion, but the virtual part is getting much better as the years go by and it's becoming much more practical to attend. You might want to do that at some stage. As always, you can find many other fine technical podcasts on the Packet Pushers Network, Heavy Strategy, Day to Cloud, Kubernetes Unpacked. They're all great and they're all free. Subscribe to them and they'll just appear in your podcatcher every single week. Don't forget to like us on social media. Tell your friends about us because that helps us to be here. And as always, remember that. Too much networking would never be enough.